Merry Christmas. How are you? I can't see you because of the lights, but yes, you're there. This is the this is a six o'clock service, is it not? This is a truly spiritual group right here. Yeah, uh, it's good to have you. Uh, and I hope you are you ready for tomorrow? Are you ready? Yeah, I made the mistake of going to Walmart today. Never do that. Yeah, there was a lot of people there, and they were not super patient. They need to go to church. Uh, anyway, I think I'm ready now. So it's good to have you in God's house. Uh, let's go to prayer as we look at uh, Isaiah 6 uh, and, and look at the seer Isaiah versus the Savior and see what we can learn. Father, we uh, give our next few moments to you, um, knowing that the word never returns void, that you always take the scriptures, apply them to each individual life as only you can, uh, and your spirit is here to be our teacher and our guide. And so we submit to his leadership. We pray for those who don't know you, uh, that this would become the night that uh, they understand uh, the mission of Christ and what it means to them individually. And they make a faith st statement to follow him above all things. And we just thank you for the Christmas season that uh, we, above all people, have great hope in what lies ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, 2020 has been a bizarre year, has it not? I mean, I've lived through the 60s, the 70s. I've seen, I don't know, strange things go on in, in the world, in my country. Uh, it's, it, this, is, this has been an interesting year. But if you were to stop the average Israelite in the period of the kings and ask them, what was the most bizarre year in Israel? They would have told you, most likely, 739 B.C. Uh, why? Uh, their king, Uzziah, had been on the throne for 52 years. Imagine, we get a guy for four years. And if you don't like him, you can vote in the next one, right? Uh, imagine if they were there for 52 years. He was there holding the country together for 52 years. And as scripture tells us in 2 Kings 15 that he was a godly man. Uh, but uh, he had issues. Uh, spiritually, he did not take a radical action to get rid of all the high places where all the pagan idols were. Because in the uh, ancient culture, they believed that if you went up on a hill uh, and uh, carved uh, Asherim fertility goddess into a tree and you were closer to the heavens, you're closer to the realm of the gods. He didn't get rid of all those places of worship. He kind of left them there. And it was probably a political move because why would I want to anger all the side of my, of my country when, you know, it's not, what's it going to hurt? But he left it there. He compromised. And then he had a problem with arrogance, pride. Uh, because according to 2 Chronicles chapter 26, verses 16 to 20, he took it upon himself to leave the political world and step into the roles of the high priest. He was never called to do that. And God uh, disciplined him the, the, when he did it uh, by striking him with leprosy. Until he died in 739 B.C., every time he'd look at his skin, he would see all of the grotesque features of his skin because of his sin of pride. Imagine if God struck politicians today because of that. Uh, he, 739, he finally passed away. Uh, and at that time, when the country was in absolute turmoil, like what are they going to do? They've lost the king. Um, that is when God uh, gave a word of revelation, really a, a sight uh, revelatory site to Isaiah the prophet. And in Isaiah chapter 6, uh, verse 1 and following, which we're going to look at for a few moments, and we're going we're to relate it to the person of Christ when he came to the earth, uh, you get a picture of what he saw. Could you imagine if God came to you at a, t a time when the, the world has fallen apart as you know it, and he said, I'm going to show you a I'm going to show you the heavenlies. I'm going to allow you to see out of our dimensionality with all of its limitations. I'm going to show you the next dimension. 
And I'm not talking rock group like fifth dimension. I'm talking God. I mean, how many dimensions do we have? This is a smart congregation. Brother says four. Have I got five? Do we have four? Could you, could you comprehend 12, 80, 100? See, that's why when you look at people trying to describe heaven when they see it, it's, it's a lot of similar similes and metaphors to, to try to describe it. He, gets a, he, he doesn't just get a vision of heaven. He gets to see it. What did he see? He says, in the year that King Uzziah died, what year was that? We test that our church. I don't know about where you're going, but 739 BC. Bad year, good year. Bad year. In, seven, in that year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and his train of his robe, it filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphim. Each had, well, each of the seraphim, of the, that class of angels, had six wings. Two, he covered his face. Two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. Uh, the point being, it's a side sermon in and of itself. But the closer you get to God, the more you have to cover yourself in humility because you're in the presence of God Almighty. They had a lot of wings. One cried to the other, and he said three times, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. They were all chanting that. They said they were from class of angels. Said, and the post of the door was shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. This is what he saw. He saw the real throne room of God because the pattern uh, of the tabernacle and the temple was just a pattern of what was in the heavenlies, a, a smaller version of that. Here he gets to see not just uh, the small little Ark of the Covenant uh, that could be carried on uh, poles uh, by the priest uh, with a seraphim facsimiles over the top of that uh, with the mercy seat in between them. He gets to see the throne of God himself. Imagine. Imagine seeing that stunning thing. What was the Lord who was seated on the throne wearing? A robe. How big was the robe? Well, he said that his, the train of his robe, it filled the temple. Imagine, this is no small temple. The, the train of the robe went everywhere. Uh, your first day in heaven, when you see Christ face to face and he's sitting on the throne, I can tell you one thing. You're going to have to be very careful not to step on what? <laughs> the robe. Because it's everywhere. See, in their culture, in the ancient culture, the king was, it was denoted his greatness by the size of his, his robe. So if you were ahead of an empire and you had a 10-foot robe, what do you think the next guy's going to be looking for? I'm going for 15 feet. When you look at the throne of God, he's high and lifted up. He's the king of kings. You can't even compare any earthly regal throne to his, his robe. It's, it's massive. It's everywhere. And the fact that he's seated on his throne tells you that he's in absolute control. He's not in a frenzy. It was 739 B.C. The people were freaking out, but God's on his throne seated. Uh, he's in full control of what's going on. The seraphim were rhythmically chanting one sentence over and over, and they still, they're still chanting it. They, they chant it all the time. What did they chant? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. The whole earth is full of his glory. They're saying that over and over and over to each other. What language do angels speak? It's real simple. Hebrew. It's Hebrew. I've been trying to tell you for years, you need to get with the program. If you're going to heaven and you speak English now, you need to know Hebrew because that's what they're speaking. What are, they, what are they saying? What does it sound like when an angel is, is talking about the holiness of God? Here's what it sounds like. It says, Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. Yahweh Sabaoth. 
They say that over and over again. Uh, one of the Old Testament scholars that impacted me when I was uh, in my late teens, early 20s, uh, Dr. John Hartley, a world-class scholar, uh, was fluent in 16 languages, could read hieroglyphics, you name it. He was a brain. I asked him one day, because I went to him and said, would you, be, would you mentor me while I'm in college? He said, absolutely. And so he poured his life into me. Um, very godly man. I asked him one day after a class I took on the book of Isaiah with him, I said, if you were to take the character of God, because he's many things, is he not? He's omnipresent and he's omnipotent. All that he is, he's a perfect balance between all of those. But I said, if you could just isolate one thing about him with all that you know about him, what is he? What do you think his answer was? God's holy. He's holy above all things. What did uh, Isaiah see? Isaiah saw his nation was in a mess and God allowed him to see his holy presence. The, the voice that was spoken, and it's hard to tell who, who the voice was that was speaking, whether it was God's voice from the throne or whether it was one of the angels speaking, uh, was so loud that the massive stones that formed the heavenly temple were creaking and snapping as if they were going to break just from the voice. And there was smoke that filled the temple. Where'd the smoke come from? From the glory of God. It begins to fill the temple. Why? To shield man from the glory of God. The name seraph of a seraphim, uh, I am endings in Hebrew, or plural. So there's more than one angel. There's multiple. It could have been a thousand angels uh, above the throne chanting, holy, holy is God. Uh, but the word seraph in Hebrew means to burn, which means that we, when you see, if you go to heaven and you see a seraphim class of angel, not like the cherubim class, he, he's denoted by his burning nature. He's like fire. Why is he like that? Well, because he's so close to God. Remember Moses when he came down from the mount? What they have to put over his face? Yeah, they put over veil because his face absorbed the glory of God and reflected it. They're in God's presence all the time, chanting, he's holy. When he saw the holiness of God, it says in verse 5, he then saw himself. He said to himself, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And he said, I looked around and I dwell among a people with unclean lips. Why? Do I think this? Well, my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. I've seen him. My eyes have seen him. See, when you, when you get near God, you see yourself. And when you see yourself, you see your sin. And, he, and whatever he thought about himself at that moment evaporated. How great he thought he was as a prophet. Everything he thought about himself evaporated because he saw the holiness of God and he saw his sin. And he needed that sin purged. And God's merciful. In verse 6, it says, One of the seraphim flew to, to him, having his hand uh, it was a live coal, which he had taken from the tongs of the altar. He touched my mouth with it. So it must have been an unusual coal from an unusual altar. And he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity, your sin is taken away. Your sin is purged. God just dealt with your sin problem from the altar. Remember, the earthly altar was just a representation of the heavenly altar. This is the ultimate altar. And God who's on the throne, who's holy, says... If you're going to be in my presence, you've, you've got to be holy. Here, let me help you with that. Verse 8, he said, I, I then heard God ask a question. Wouldn't you be scared to death if you're in God's presence here in all of this? And we know from other biblical text that the, the base of the floor where the God's throne is, is, is like translucent. You can see it, but you can't see it. You can walk on it. It's there, but you can see through it. And we know there's a rainbow that goes around his throne. And, that, that, and, and it's a rainbow representing that he will not judge the world anymore by, by water. Doesn't say he wouldn't do it by fire, but it's a promise. 
there's a massive rainbow, there, and there's, there's lightning and thunder and all that stuff around the throne of God. Could you imagine standing there, and God says, I have a question. Have you ever been in a class when a professor that you were scared to death of was walking around class? Have you ever been there? I have. What are you doing in that class? I, I was always looking at under my desk. I didn't want them calling on me. He, he hears the question from God. What is the question that God asks? It, what does he say? Whom shall I send? Send where? Well, to the nation that just lost its king and it's really messed up and they think it's all over and they think it's the worst year ever. I need to send somebody to them to, to speak my word to them. Who, who shall I send? And then he adds this. Who will go for us? Why is it plural? Who's the us? Well, that's the Trinity. Why did they say kadosh, kadosh, kadosh three times? Uh, two reasons. Uh, reason number one, in Hebrew, when you repeat something a couple of times, you just made it emphatic. You do this with your children, don't you? Right? Scott, Scott, Scott. He knows he's going to die at that point, right? It's emphatic, right? My name's Martin. My middle name's Albert. I mean, if that was ever said a couple times in a row, I knew it was over. Kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. God says, if you want to know something emphatically about me, I am holy, which means you need to be. And you can't make yourself holy, so you need me. The, the other reason why it's said three times, the Father's holy, the Son is holy, and the Spirit of God is holy. He said, the Trinity asked me a question. Who will go for us in this very bad year to give our word of revelation to the nation? What's our nation need? Does it need another politician? No. Better news reporting? Mm-mm. Better bills? No. What's it need? It needs people that, that know God, the living God, understand how to get holy, and they say, God, here I am. Send me to talk to the nation about you because you're the answer. Let's fast forward to the birth of Christ because who was on that throne but the Trinity, Christ? He left that. Think about it. He left that to come down to, where was he born? Stable. Think of the contrast. The God who sat on a glorious throne in a heavenly dimension that you can't even put into human language traded it for a dusty, dank, dark little stable. The same God who constantly heard seraphim speak about the holiness of his in, that's intrinsic to his character, he lands in a stable. And what does he hear while he's there in a stable? What do you hear in a stable? You're not hearing the seraphim class going, holy, holy, holy. What are you hearing in a stable? Oh, moo. It's <laughs> cow over there. There's a chance for the kids to participate. What else do you hear? In a, what, what other animals could be there? About, yeah, boy, it could have been a pig there. I highly doubt it. It's a Jewish stable. Okay, just think about it. Good try. That was really good. Uh, do goats make noise? Yes. Yeah, but every time I've been around a goat, they end up, my, I can feel my clothing going in their mouth. I don't, you know, but they, yeah, they're, they're interesting. He trades the glory of his throne for a stable with animals. And imagine when you're in the glory of God, the aromas in, pres in heaven must be amazing. How about stable aromas? Not so much. He trades it for that. The same God who was eternally clothed with a wonderful, beautiful robe trains, trades that wonderful robe, that wonderful regal place for, well, human flesh uh, and swaddling clothes given to him by two very poor Jewish parents. The same God who was call, called the Lord of hosts, the Lord of angelic armies, uh, is willing to step aside from that uh, 
and be dependent upon a mother and a father. Think of it. The same God whose glowing presence caused smoke to issue forth from his glorious presence now steps into his stable and you don't see any of that, that grandeur anymore like that because it's shielded. The same God, the second member of the Trinity who always beheld the face of the heavenly father now looks up for the first time in his life and who does he see? His mom. He didn't have one of those. He sees Mary looking down at him. Who else does he see? Well, you only got one other option. Joseph. He sees his earthly father, Joseph. Imagine, he traded heaven. I thought about that all this week and I, I asked myself as I studied it and thought about it, um, I had one Bible study question. Why? Why? Why would he leave that where it's absolutely holy for this, which is impure? Why would he do that? There's many places you could go for the answer. The best answer is from Christ's own lips in John 17. Uh, when Judas betrayed him uh, and he was in you know, the upper room, there was a time when he prayed before he went to the cross. And in John 17, it says high priestly prayer. Uh, and he prays for us that he came for. And listen to what he says about his mission in John 17, because it tells you why he came, if you pay attention. He says, uh, I do not pray for these alone, uh, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Think about this. I got saved. I became a Christian in 1967. Did Jesus pray for me? Answer? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. In that prayer, he prayed for me. He said, I pray for those who will believe in me. You could stick your name in there. Isn't that awesome? He prayed for you. Uh, that they may be one as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Well, where did he come from? Isaiah 6 tells you where he came from. He left there on an assignment of redemption. He says, And the glory which you gave me, which I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one, I am in them and you in me, that they may be perfect that the world may know that you have sent me and I, that I've loved them as you loved me. He tells you why he came. I came because I love them and I wanted them to share in glory. He says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you've given me, may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. He wants to share his glory. See, when, when Isaiah was allowed to see the glory of, of, of God, of the Christ, he only saw it for that revelatory moment in that dimension. What did he give us the ability to have and possess? Well, that day you step into his presence, you see the glory forever. When I was a high school pastor, I was asked all kinds of interesting questions by high school students years ago. It was a few years ago. Here was one of them. Hey, what are we going to do in heaven all, all the time? You know, and so I was, well, wouldn't it be enough just to stand in the presence of God and behold his glory? The answer to a typical 17-year-old was, I don't know, that sounds kind of boring. Is there something else? <laughs> oh, no, that's going to be enough. I mean, think about it now. I'm, I turned 63 this Sunday. And the older I get, I think about the glory. And I think, could you, could you imagine first day in heaven and you get to stand and see the robe and the throne and the Christ who's smiling at you and hear this, the voice of the angels and stuff and he's welcoming you as his presence and he's showing you his glory. Wouldn't it be enough to, Lord, Lord could I just stand here? I know there's no time now. Could I, could I stand here for like a thousand years? Wouldn't that be enough? That would be for me to see something like that. Why did he come? He came to give you who are impure the, the opportunity to, to be there 
John chapter 14, Jesus was talking to the disciples before his crucifixion. Um, and he gave us some advice. He says, don't let your heart be troubled. If you believe in, uh, in the Father, and you believe also in me. And then what's he tell them? He says, in my Father's house, in the King James text, are many what? Mansions. And he says, if it were not so, I would not have told you so. Uh, and if I go, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Then the disciples ask the other big question, uh, how are we going to get there, Lord? And he tells them in verse 6 of John 14. He says, oh, you want to know the way into my presence? I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And then he makes it really narrow. No man comes through the Father but through me. See, he came to give us the way to the Father. That's, that's Christmas. To allow you to stand for all eternity in his presence. And he's going to grant you a dwelling place to live in for fellowship with other people. No, it's, it's off the grid. But he's, he has a question for you. Same question that he asked Isaiah. What's the question? Who will I send? Why? Because 2020 was kind of a messed up year, wasn't it? And God looks down from heaven and goes, oh, don't worry, I'm on my throne. This didn't get by me, but I need you to go forth. Who will I send? What does our nation need? Brave men and women, high school students, college, I don't care, that love Christ, and step forward to say, God, you've cleansed me. Now I'm going to go forth. Send me. Send me. I'll be the light to my people. And if you don't know Christ as the light, he came to give you his light. He came to give you his holiness. Well, today's the day to accept the gift of Christ. And the minute you do, nothing's ever the same again in your life because you are now his child. I challenge you. I pray for you to, to do that today. Jesus, wonderful. The contrast between where he was and where he came. And then he went back up there, didn't he? Mount of Olives, Acts chapter 1. He's standing on the Mount of Olives. He's talking to the disciples. And he begins to lift off after the resurrection. The disciples are like freaking out. They thought he was going to establish the kingdom. And there happened to be some angels standing there. And do you remember what the angels told the disciples who were looking up? Why do you men look up? That's where the scripture doesn't tell you what other things went on there. If you see Jesus lifting off and, and you're looking up, what's a logical thing to do but to look up? They should have looked at the angels and said, I'm looking up because he's flying into a cloud bank. No, they knew these were angels. And the angels, what they tell him? It's most interesting. The angels tell him, as he has left, so shall he come again. I don't know about you. How, how do I make it through 2020? God's on his throne. He's holy. He came to give us his holiness, and he's coming back. Do you know him? Let's pray. God, thank you. Uh, just uh, for both testaments, because uh, as we look at progressive revelation, we can begin to connect the dots, uh, and it makes so much sense. Thank you for leaving the glory of heaven, as Paul says in uh, Philippians 2, to take on the form of a servant uh, and to walk to the cross to bear our sin, to defeat sin and death on that old cross, to rise the third day victorious, and then turn and grant sinners who repent of their sin and trust in you as Savior. You give them life and forgiveness. What could be better? Thank you for the gift that Christmas is of your life. And we pray for those who don't know you that this would be the year they would embrace you. And for we are your, your people, might we be the courageous ones who step forward and say, God, I haven't been going with the gospel like I should have. I am now stepping forward to say, God, you can count on me. 
May many step forward in Christ's name. Amen. We don't play with fire anymore in our building, right? That's why you have one of these. Uh, Fire marshal won't allow us to light all those candles anymore. So if you have one of these, uh, this is a spiritual candle, so just pray over it and it will just light up. You know, or push the button. So do you have one of these? So now's the time. Uh, we'd like you to turn this on. And why don't you stand? Uh, it's customary and traditional for us to always sing uh, the great uh, carol, Silent Night. Uh, it was a holy night, indeed, because of what we have just seen. And uh, as you hold this candle, remember Jesus called you to be a light into the world. May this be your testimony that, God, I'm going to shine my light for you to the world around me because they need you more than anything. Sing this to Christ.
I want to leave you with a doxology from the pen of Jude. It's only one chapter, uh, so there's verse 24 is the end of that little book where he gives us these words, Now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. To the only God our Savior, through Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. And God's people said, Amen. May God bless you. Have a great evening. Enjoy your day tomorrow with friends and family. Lord bless you greatly. Merry Christmas. Christmas.